and welcome to Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We would love to have you join us for worship today. Our Bible studies begin at 9 a.m. for all ages, followed by a service at 10.30 a.m., and then our evening discipleship service at 6.30 p.m. We are located at 14260 South Dixie Highway in Monroe, Michigan. Our phone number is 734-241-6860. You can also find more on our website, www.mmbconline.org. Here is a message from our senior pastor, Tim Icoangeli. If your Bibles, if you want to turn to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. We're going to finish our Ruth series today. This is the plan anyways. Ruth chapter 4 is where we will, where we will be as a perfect song to get us into this chapter, as we'll see as we study it together. <clears throat> How many of you uh, like to read? Raise your hands if, if you're a reader. Don't, don't lie either. There's people who say they like to read. I see a hand I don't believe, but okay. That's okay. She knows who she is. All right. Who likes to watch movies instead of read? Don't be ashamed. It's embarrassing sometimes. Okay. When we read a good book or we watch a, a good movie, we want a good story to be told. And that's what we want to see. And within that story, normally there's some points where it rises and we get excited and we might get let down just to be excited again, or it might plateau, or there might, it might leave us at some points with a lot of unknowns. You know, my, my daughter can't stand the unknown. She asks a million questions. I'm like, I haven't seen it either. You've got to wait. I'm, I'm assuming that's coming, you know, at the next point. Maybe, maybe you're like that. But a good story does that for us. And last week when we got to the end of chapter three, of Ruth, if we were reading this as, as a story and we were just enthralled by the story, we were really left uh, with mixed emotions because Ruth had gone to Boaz and had laid herself be, before Boaz and Boaz said, yes, I will redeem you. Yes, I will marry you, which all along throughout the whole story, that's what we've been hoping for. That's what we've been wanting, right? She goes into this field and this guy comes in and just treats her beautifully. And we're like, man, this is, this is the man for her. This is what we want to have. And we want to see them come together. We want to see them be married and be joined together. And when we leave chapter three, we have hope that this will happen. But Boaz said, but there's one closer. Oh, our hearts sink at that moment. No, we don't want that. We don't want this to happen. We want it to be Boaz, right? We're, we're excited about this situation that's taking place. This is how the movie should end up, or this is how the book should end with a, with a very happy ending. But Boaz says, no, there's, there's one person closer, and we need to go to that man first. And so we're kind of stuck saying, man, what, what is going to happen? What's going to happen in this situation? Will Ruth be with Boaz or not? Am I going to say I like the story of Ruth because it ended how I wanted it to? Or am I going to leave saying, don't ever read that book. It does not end how you hope it'll end in the end. And so we're going to pick up in Ruth chapter four and read uh, the whole chapter together. 
and see how the story ends, and we're going to look at it and study it this morning. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friends, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And you may prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. I want to look at this this morning, and the first thing I want us to notice is in verse 1 through 8, Boaz confronting this man with no name. And I think that it's very interesting. Boaz goes to the gate like he is supposed to do after talking with Ruth and telling her everything that was needed to happen and that there was a relative closer. He goes to the gate where the elders would sit. And as he is sitting there, scripture tells us that the close relative walked by. Now, 
it is very interesting, and, then, and there is a reason for this. No name is given to this man. Throughout the book of Ruth so far, names have been important. I mean, we have the name of Elimelech, who died in just a couple verses. We have the name of the two sons that were born to Elimelech, who we, all we know about them is they died. They, they found wives in Moab, and then they died. We, we, we know the names of the daughter-in-laws, right? We know Ruth and we know Orpah, but then Orpah disappears because she makes a bad decision. We don't hear of her name ever again. It's not mentioned anywhere, but yet the author of Ruth is continually giving us names and the importance of names, but with this man, we have no name. And I think we'll, we'll see why as we look deeper into this passage. You see, the parameters are set here for redemption, Boaz tells the man everything that needs to be done. He says, you need to acquire this field uh, from Naomi that she has sold off and we need to get it back and get it in line. And you're the closest relative. Is this something that you would like to do? Would you like to purchase this land? And we get a resounding yes from him. He, he says, yes, absolutely. And this is when we're reading the story, our heart sinks because we think, no, we want it to be Boaz. Uh, we've been learning about Boaz all along and now this man with no name comes in and he's going to take over and the book is just going to end and it's going to be very frustrating. And so he says, yes, I will redeem the land. I will be the redeemer here. But then Boaz continues, right? He continues. And so in verse five, he continues to tell him, so, okay, on the day that you do this, realize that you also inquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, and you must bring her a son. That, that's something that you must do, who then will receive the inheritance of the land. In hearing this, the man very quickly says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I thought this was just a cash deal. I thought that I was just gonna acquire some land. I'd redeem it back, get it back into our family. But now you're saying that I have to have a child with this lady and that then he will get the inheritance. And so in the end, for my investment, I actually get nothing in return. No, I'm out. I mean, he, he was so certain of this. He was willing to bring shame on himself like we talked about last week. And so what we have here in this situation of this man who is nameless to us is we have somebody who wants to serve, who wants to do things for others, but only if it betters themselves in the situation. Only if it's going to make them look good, only if it's going to better their cause, only if it's going to put their name out there. And as soon as he finds out that actually it's not going to have anything to do with him because he's not going to acquire this land, it's not going to better his situation. In fact, it's going to be more work in the end. All of a sudden, his good charity disappears. All of a sudden, his good charity is simply, is simply gone. I, I hate that I think this way, but, but when I read this, I think of politicians. That's really what came to my mind. Now, I know there's good politicians out there who are serving and, and trying to be faithful because that's what they feel they, they need to do. But it's hard sometimes to get a politician to something where he's not going to be the headliner or she's not going to be the headliner, where their name is not going to be known. And in their mind, what they're thinking is, what is this going to benefit me? What is this relationship going to benefit me? Or what is this situation going to benefit me? I've already faced this with people I've seen in town or situations that I've went to in town. Nobody pays a mind to Tim. But then when somebody introduces me to them and says, hey, he, he's pastoring Monroe Missionary Baptist Church here soon, all of a sudden they want to talk to me. 
All of a sudden, they want to get to know me. A moment ago, I was nobody. A moment ago, I, I didn't mean anything to them. A, a simple handshake, a simple hi, and then they scoot on by. But now when they say, oh, wait a second, maybe he'll let me uh, address his congregation or, or say a prayer at a wild game dinner, or maybe he'll get me in here and my name will get known. All of a sudden, the situation changes, and, <laughs> and that is not the type of person I am. And so I instantly think, well, that'll never happen. Uh, they don't understand. That, that completely backfires in my playbook and how I function. But that's what we see happening here with this guy. Well, I can get something out of this. I'm gonna get some land kind of cheap, right? This is where we've all hoped, you know, we have that uncle that we didn't know, but he passed away and left us everything. That's kind of the situation he thinks he's in here. But then when he finds out, oh no, that's not the case. I acquire Naomi, I acquire Ruth, and I have to bring to her a son who then is gonna get it all. No, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm willing to take the disgrace. I'm willing to be shamed because I have my situation worked out and this does not fit within my situation. This does not fit to my plan and what I have planned for me. And it's interesting because he was probably trying to make himself known. He was trying to acquire wealth. He was trying to have this name for him but yet he is the one who is nameless in this book. I don't know what he went on to do. He, he might've went on to have a very successful career in whatever he did. He might've had a lot of farmlands, but do you know about him? I doubt it. Does anybody in history know about him? Not that I know of, not that I could find in my research. Did his, did his business still running today? Is it still in his line and his family? I could find nothing of that as I researched this. He remains nameless. And trying to seek out betterment for himself, what he got was destruction for his name and for who he was. But then on the flip side, we have Boaz, which we'll look at in a moment. In verse 9 through 13, we see God blesses Ruth in this situation. What a turnaround for this woman. From where we met her to where we now see her, an amazing turnaround has happened in her life. Her living in Moab, who was an enemy of Israel, marrying in a, an Israelite, her husband dying, her going now to Bethlehem, promising Naomi that she would be with her, that she would serve her God. And we've seen some fantastic things about Ruth, have we not? Have we studied this together? Ruth is an extremely hard worker in the fields, getting food. She loved her mother-in-law well. That's what she needed to do. That's what she promised to do. And she did that. The Bible tells us she had great integrity, that she was a virtuous woman. She had all of these great qualities about her. And what we see happening now in chapter four and verse nine through 13 is that God blesses her, that God gives her worth and God restores her. That word restore is important. And we're going to talk about it more at the end of this message. But we talked about it the very first day that that word shub in Hebrew is important in Ruth because it means returning or a restoration. And God here is restoring Ruth. He's redeeming Ruth. He's, he's giving her value here. And it's a great value to the point where now she is, she is overflowing. She, she's completely full. We also have in verse 18 through 22, God blessing Boaz. Boaz stepped up. Boaz put himself in a position 
with absolutely nothing to gain. He had nothing to gain in this situation. If he bears a son, that son gets everything that he's about to buy, that he's putting his money into. Throughout this whole story, he really had nothing to gain, giving her extra food, doing all this stuff for her. But yet in the end, what we see is we see that God gives him a name that will always be remembered. God gives him a name that will always be remembered. And we see this in the genealogy of Christ, right? This ends in a weird way, does it not? The book of Ruth. And we'll dive into it more. It ends with some names that are hard to pronounce and that don't make sense. And then it ends with David. Jesse begot David. And we look at that and we say, why, why is this important? Why would the writer put this in there? And it's because this is the climax of the story. The genealogy is the tipping point of the story. It's not when Boaz and Ruth get married. I mean, that's what we think, right? Oh, fantastic day. That's not the exciting part of this book. The exciting part is the fact that when you start to read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which it had been prophesied would come through the line of David, there in the midst of that genealogy now, you have Boaz. Not the no-name man who decided to, ah, I just want to acquire the field. I don't want anything else. Boaz sought something better and deeper. He wanted to follow God's plan and God's will. And in fact, God's law that he had established for Israel. And in so doing, God blesses him. God pours out this grace on him that includes him in the genealogy of Christ. And on top of that, to put even more icing on top of that cake, he gets a beautiful wife that loves him and who cares for him. And he does, that ha- he does have that marital relationship that is a blessing to be a part of and to have. If you go to verses uh, 14 to 17, I skipped that section. I, I did it on purpose. God blesses Naomi, we see. You remember Naomi, when she entered Bethlehem, she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And so Naomi walks into Bethlehem, her hometown broken, distressed, distraught, not knowing what she's going to do, probably ashamed, embarrassed. You could probably list a lot of those different things. And so that's how we come to know Naomi. But in the end of the story, as we read all these things, as, as we read all of Naomi's mess ups and the bad decisions that she had made, the bad advice that she would give, all these things that we talked about, in the end, what we see is we see Naomi being fully restored by God. And when we look at Naomi's life, we must understand that only God can do this in a life like that. Only God can restore her life. She tried her best to mess things up. Could anybody raise their hand and say, man, that, I might be Naomi. Right? We, we try our best at times to mess things up. And Naomi did that numerous times. Yet, in the midst of all of those mess ups, we see that God's plan was never thwarted. That God's plan was never messed up. We actually see God working here and we see him blessing Naomi so much so that she's overflowing, that all the women in town are noticing, man, look how blessed she is. Look look at what God has done for her. Now, I do want to make note of this though. Her husband does not come back to life. Her, Her two children were not raised from the dead. And so when she sits in that house, she has to still feel the hurt of losing them. 
but yet God brings life back to her. And in that moment, she's sitting on that chair. I don't know, you can try to picture the situation. She's sitting in that room in that chair and other women of the town are in there. And for the very first time, she gets to put in her arms life that only God could give her. She walks into town, call me bitter because God has dealt very harshly with me to now where her heart is just overflowing because of the blessings of the Lord as she holds her new grandbaby in her arms and gets to love on him, gets to kiss him. That's the God that we serve, the God who blesses, the God who restores, the God who continually loves us. You see, I've been dealing a lot lately with people who come into my office or I see them and they're struggling in their faith. And it's not that they're doubting their faith. And at times they even use that word of, of doubt. You know, I'm doubting this and I, I'm doubting that and I feel bad for this and I don't know what to do. And my encouragement to them has been the same each time. You keep believing and you keep trusting because we, we don't always feel it. And a lot of times we think, you know, yeah, you're down and out on your money. Y'all just keep trusting in God. You know, your, your health isn't doing very good. We'll just keep trusting in God. But we don't talk a lot about, well, what about when I feel like God just simply doesn't care about me? What about those times in my walk with the Lord when I start questioning him? I don't know if this is true. I don't know if I can trust this. The only thing we can do is trust more, is to keep believing to be able to say to God, God, I don't feel it at this moment, but your word says it and I believe it and I'm holding on to that. See, Naomi didn't do the best job of that in this situation. Yet still, God blesses her. Yet still, God restores her and gives her worth back to her. And we see in this passage that this is what God does for his children I mentioned that word shub, and that, again, has been very important throughout the book of Ruth because God is a God who restores. And he has restored all these people as we have read this book. All these different names, we see God restoring them. Even You even have Elimelech who made that horrible decision. His wife wasn't left out. Has to be a blessing to him to receive that. You say, well, he's dead. He doesn't know. You're right. But we can look at that and say, he didn't deserve that, but yet God took care of his wife. God took care of his wife. And why? It's because God blesses his children. And this has been the theme. Naomi and, Naomi and Ruth, they return to Bethlehem empty, shame and guilt attached, yet God restores them completely, gives them worth and value. Again, I just try to picture this in my mind. I don't imagine Naomi and Ruth busted into Bethlehem for everybody to see. We're back. That wasn't the situation. They timidly walked into town. But now we see them busting into the situation. Look at what God has done in this baby. Look at what God has done for this family. We have been redeemed. We have been restored by the grace of God. As I mentioned, the biggest picture in all of this is the genealogy that we have here at the very end. This whole story that we've been reading about Ruth really comes down to those last few verses at the very end. And what we see is we see God working all things out to restore his children back to him. You see, when we read this story, what we see is we see the story of Elimelech, 
of Naomi, of Ruth, of Boaz, and now of this little baby. And we look at this and we say, that's so great for that family. That, that's nice that that's happening within that very small segment of society. And I, I would guess, and I, I can't say this with certainty, but I would guess Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz saw it that way too. Oh, what a blessing to our family. God, thank you for what you are doing here with me. But what we see in this story is we see that in God blessing these few people, in fact, it was essential to the salvation of all who would be saved. It was a part of his grand narrative, just this little family. And so a lot of times what I hear from people who do not believe in God, uh, I hear from atheists and different things on TV. When you study them, they say, why would you think a God of the universe would care at all about you playing in a game today? Why would you pray, God, keep me safe in this game day? You really think the God of the universe cares a bit about your little game? You, you pray about your health. You mean God's gonna take time out of his busy schedule to worry about you and your little health? And what we see in the story of Ruth is there's a resounding yes in that answer. Yes, our God does care. And you know why? Because we are a part of his big grand narrative plan. It's not just happen chance. It's not just, ah, uh, yeah, sure, come on. <laughs> That's not how God functions. That's not how God works. No, every decision is very calculated. He is an omniscient God, an all-knowing God. He is a truthful God. He's everywhere all the time. He's ever present. We can say all these things about God. And so what I hope that we see in this passage is that while we see a little family being blessed, what God is doing is he is blessing us through this family. I mean, it falls right to the genealogy of Jesus. Without Boaz and Ruth having their baby, where's Jesus come? You see, it was very important that this happened. It was very important that Boaz made good decisions. It was very important that Ruth was a woman of integrity and virtue. And so in your life, as you, as you look at your life, I, I want you to know your life matters. Your life matters to the Lord because he has a plan for your life. And it's not just for you, but it can extend beyond that. And we've seen that. A family member comes to know the Lord from a family that's completely lost and God pours his grace out on them. And now you can look, you know, you can look two descendants later and that family still serving the Lord faithfully. And that family can trace back and say, man, I wonder if grandpa really knew when he went before the Lord and said, I, I am yours completely, how big of an impact that would have. But that's how our God works. And so when we look at our decisions, when we look at the, the decisions that we make as an individual, as we hopefully are trying to follow God's plan, we have to remember that it affects more than just us and that it is important to God. I, I run across too often today people who think their life is not important. That is not true. You are very important. If to nobody else here, you are important to God. Very much so. You must believe that. You must see that in his work. When we look at this little genealogy here, uh, we see the family line of, of Christ. And if you extend it out, you know, if you go to Matthew, if you go to these other places where you can find the genealogy, 
of Jesus. I think it must be noted some of the people who are in this line. We have Tamar, who was a deceiver. I don't have to get too much into Tamar's life. I challenge you to look that up, but it's not someone you would want in your family tree. She was a deceiver, but yet she is in the genealogy of Jesus. We have Rahab, who, if you remember the story of Rahab, when Joshua and Caleb would go into town and she would let them stay with her, she didn't live in the best place because she didn't have the best job. Rahab was a a prostitute who God restored, God redeemed, God poured his grace out in her life, so much so that he said, you know what? You're in my family. You're part of my family tree. You're in my lineage. You're in my line. And now we have Ruth, who comes from the enemies of God, from the Moabites. And God would go and he would place her within his family. And you ask a question, because I would ask this question, why in the world would God include these people into his family tree? If you're anything like me, I look at my family tree and I don't have to extend too far out. And I think, why God did you include them in my family tree? I, I would guess you have the exact same thing in your, in your family, unless your family's perfect. We all have that. Now, God, the creator of the universe, could order his family tree in any way he wanted to. It could be done in any way, shape, or form. And as we read God's family tree, what we find is we find liars, we find prostitutes, and we find foreigners who are enemies of God in his line. And we say, God, why would you do that? Why would you include these people in your family tree? I want to direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. We read this truth in Paul's letters to the church of Corinth. It says this. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, all of us in here at that point would do a resounding amen. We would get on our religious high horse and we would say, absolutely, amen. Do not let any of those people in here. Do not do it. But we have to keep reading because in verse 11, it says, and such were some of you. Now, I've already asked you guys to raise your hands for some other questions. Do you want me to go through this list? Right? But I think if we're all humble and true before Lord, we would say, absolutely, that list includes me. And if we served a God who wouldn't let those types of people into his family, then where would I be? I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a steal. I'm a manipulator. I'm quick-tongued. Right? I can go on and on about these things about myself, and I'm sure you can too. And some of you probably have a story that if we asked you to come share, would make all of us blush. Where some would question, should we let them back in here? But God says, yeah, but I'm the restorer of people. I restore the broken. It's the broken that I have come to heal. It's the broken that I have come to, to help out. Not the calculated not the ones who think they're going to work everything out. That was the man with no name. He was calculated. Oh no, I've got this plan figured out and that messes with my plans. Absolutely not. That has no place with me. So now he remains nameless. But for those who fall on their face before God and say, God, I'm nobody. 
Uh, my plan is nothing. I'm a failure. I'm a cheater. I'm an idolater. All I do is rebel against you, God. Why in the world would you want me to be in your family? And he says, because Christ has died for you, the broken, the broken. At Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, we are the broken gathered because we've been restored. That's who we are. And today you might be here and you're not a part of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and you come in here completely broken. I can promise you this. God can restore you. He can restore you. Now, there's many in this room who will admit we still face consequences for our sins and our actions, even after being restored by God. We have to. They did. Naomi did. I told you, Naomi's husband didn't come back from the dead. She didn't get to hug her boys again. That didn't happen in her life. She still faced consequences because of bad decisions that people had made. Christian, you know that that happens to you. I've heard from single moms who've said, I made a bad decision when I was young. I did not follow God's plan for my life. And I have had a very difficult life ever since. And I still to this day face consequences because of what I decided to do back then. But, but I know God has restored me. I know God has redeemed me. I know that God loves me. And I know that because of him, I can do this because of the power that he gives me to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can overcome these things. I can, I can look that shame in the mirror and say, oh, but, but he's taken my shame. See, some of you, are, you were drunks and you'll come across people in town and you feel shame. You know what they can do with that shame? They can take it because Christ took it for you. You don't have to be ashamed. You say, absolutely, that was me, but not anymore because God has changed me. God has restored me. God has, God has made me whole. I'm like Naomi sitting there with that baby. I feel, I feel complete. I feel whole. And it's only because of what God has done for me through Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. They couldn't decide to have a baby boy. God works that out. God works that out. God plans that out. And so we see this story of what seems to be just rash decisions here and rash decisions here. Really, in the end, what we see is we see God had all this worked out all along. Do you know it's the same way in your life? As you make decisions, as you make plans, as you're trying your best to follow God's will, I have no doubt at times you sit there and you think, what in the world is going on? Can I, I want to promise you something. God has a plan. He has a plan. He, he is not chaotic. He is not lost. He is not confused. He has a plan and it's a good plan for his children. It's a good plan for his kingdom and those who are a part of his kingdom. And as believers, that's us. As Christians, that's us. We get to be in that kingdom. We get to understand that truth. If this broadcast has affected your life today, or if you have any questions about anything that you've heard, please feel free to write us at info at mmbconline.org or like and comment on our Facebook page. This has been Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Have a blessed day.